I'm curious how many people were um, convinced at the beginning of last week's show that they missed out on something. Brandon did a fantastic job with the fake flaws and stuff. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Because, like, when we were recording it, we were just goofing around. It was just the three of us, and I went back to listen to it yesterday just to hear what he did. I don't typically go back and listen to our shows, but to hear all the applause and stuff, I was like, whoa, wow, he like, really pulled it off, you know? But I, was I was a little sad because... I didn't hear my voice at the beginning. I'm like, oh, they did 300 without me in some big <laughs> arena. Oh. Hey, yeah, I forgot to get you that memo. Sorry about yes, that. Yes, that's cool. That's cool, guys. <laughs> well, how's it going? How's your shoulder? Uh, you told me just a minute ago off air, but I wanted to give an yeah, update if, if you don't mind. Not much progress. A little bit of progress. Still in physical therapy. Um, since uh, I think we talked about how I kind of re-injured it doing the pull start thing. And they did some tests, and it's not rotator cuff; it's uh, injury, which is really good. I thought I tore something because of the amount yeah. of pain, but they said it's it's still all related to that nerve. So uh, nerves take a long time to heal. Or so we're still doing uh, the exercises that I need to do, and still going to physical therapy. Somebody, uh, a couple people actually reached out and said, you know, you can get electric starters for the go karts, and I have one. And I, I basically, I race in two different leagues and one league allows the electric starter and one league doesn't. So um, I'm hoping maybe we can have a discussion in the other league about, I mean, a lot of us are old men and <laughs> and uh, these, these engines are a little bit harder to start because of they have a higher compression ratio. And uh, so it's not as easy as starting the lawnmower. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. the The reason the one league doesn't have or doesn't allow electric starters is because it allows you to throw in a, um, a a massive cam in the engine, and also remove that compression um. release. And so it's just one of those limitations to keep the cost down and to keep the the um, competitive factor somewhat equal. So, um, and I guess all those changes would be easy to hide because they're on the inside yeah because it's on it's on the inside i mean there's right. it, th- there are somewhat easy ways to to measure the the amount of lift that you're getting with the cam but you still have to take things apart but yeah yep hmm. gotcha well i'm glad uh you didn't damage it more oh me but too it's... i was so worried <laughs> yeah i bet well cool yeah. well, what have you been working on anything, anything so uh, I was going to do a big power carving, just a big sculpture um, with some, uh, just like an angle grinder and some ArborTech tools. I got a, a big tree part, a big tree stump. I don't even, I don't know, uh, a big hunk of wood that uh, was cut down from a tree. I don't know what I'm talking about most of the time. Uh <laughs> A tree was cut down last summer, and I saved part of this to do a sculpture, and I was going to start that. And then I thought, I don't think I should be holding a power tool for mm-hmm. hours carving away right now. So um, I, maybe a, a year and a half ago, I bought a handmade hammer uh, from um, – uh, help me out with the name, Jimmy. Brent Bailey. Yes, yes. And I was using the hammer, and – a way that you're not supposed to use the hammer and I broke the handle. And so for a year, were you holding the wrong side? <laughs> I was, I don't remember what <laughs> I was hitting, but I was hitting something non woodworking related and non 
video related, just trying to break something apart. And I broke the handle. And so, and it split almost the, the length of the handle. And so for a year, I've just had Gorilla Tape on the handle and it's been working. It's been holding it together and which is totally fine for smacking in brad nails or whatever I'm using it for. And uh, I thought, okay, this will be an easy project where it doesn't take a lot of lifting and I'll just make a new handle for it. So we started, we started that and, uh, yeah. And then, um, started drawing up plans. I'm trying to organize my office a little bit more. So I'm doing this big, uh, it's, it's, cabinets that's going to hold various synths and effects pedals and i bought this patch bay and so everything will have i don't play out anymore i don't play live so everything is just going to have a permanent home within this office right here and so it's going to have a drawer and some slide out shelves for the synths and things like that and i think that'll be a a cool fun video it'll force me to write a song for it and show off the, the equipment yeah that's cool awesome what are you up to, Jimmy? Um, I'm fiddling here the whole time trying to get a new set of headsets turned on. I buy Beats headsets two, three at a time because I'm constantly destroying them. I put on a brand new pair of Beats headsets when I was making the resin thing a couple weeks ago. And I always usually have one ear in because I'm just listening in case anybody needs me with the other ear. And the other thing was hanging down like a ponytail, like on the side of my head. And I thought to myself, well, that's, I hope I don't lean over and go into the, the epoxy because I kept bending over the thing. And then and, bloop. And then I'm like making sure it doesn't happen. And then I'm like just sitting there patiently, like looking at the thing, deciding where I need more resin, holding a cup of resin in my, my left hand. Then I look down and the entire earpiece is submerged in the resin. Oh, <laughs> man. It was like it's a little, $100 headset, headset of beats, like four days old. Is that the one that, is that the set that you have bedazzled with diamonds? Yes, yes. I had a wipeout oh, between man. the diamonds, yeah. Real diamonds, yeah, by the way. Encrusted. Yeah, um, yeah, so I just now, I, I, that set still works, but I only get one ear out of it. So um, <laughs> You only need one ear, though, right? right? I mean, yeah, you only use one side. <laughs> well, you know, when I'm like trying to submerge myself in a podcast of good music, I can only hear one side. Um, so I just opened another set of beats, fiddling around, and that's what I've been doing while while you guys uh, have been talking. That's why I've been so silent. But I, I'm working on a few projects. I didn't put out a video Saturday just because I just really wasn't ready, and everyone's like, oh, you've been driving yourself crazy. Don't worry about it. So I was able to take some time and not rush to finish a video. But the video that I will have out Saturday is an interesting video. I have these two Emmett vices. One I bought and one was gifted to me by this uh, great guy named Matt who brought me a bunch of cool tools. Uh, and so I had two, I ended up with two very uh, interesting, incredibly versatile vices. It's a vice that flips up, spins, does all kinds of completely 180. It flips and spins called the pattern maker's vice. A lot of people don't realize like this is an industry that was always hidden from public view and now it's basically gone for the most part and people don't even know that it ever existed. So when you hear someone say, hmm. oh, it's a pattern maker's lathe or a pattern maker's vice or a pattern maker's uh, bandsaw or disc sander, patterns for cast iron things were made out of wood at first. And then they were used to make patterns uh, in the sand that were then filled, the void was filled with with melted steel or cast iron. So those patterns were really, it was basically half the equation of the Industrial Revolution from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution until now. Now most things are mostly CNC'd. Uh, and so we don't really need the, the physicality of the technical skills of a, of a human being making these things. But 
weird tools like these pattern makers vice existed because you had a guy basically sculpting, you know, it was, they were like pure art form. They were like sculptors like in Rome that would be sculpting, you know, human figures, but instead they're sculpting, you know, the arm of a bandsaw. Everything's made out of wood. So, and that's why you see those crazy pattern gears, those wooden gears at flea markets and vintage shops. Those are all patterns that would otherwise be used to, to make a, a pattern in, a cast in steel. So I had these vices and I had a giant pile of wood in my container. So I started making a table for them and for my new shop, my, the shop in the barn, we're going to completely deck the whole thing out with new tools or tools collect. The room's going to be new. All the tools will be old and all tools will be tools that I've already had. So we're going to curate them. And I wanted a really cool table in the middle that had a vintage feel, had these cast iron legs that I bought at the flea market a couple of years ago. So long story short, I brought this these planks together, this vice, this vintage base. I brought it all together, and that's this video this Saturday. I've done a little bit of Instagram on it. And uh, working on my Rockler video, which is probably the longest arduous video that I've worked on in recent memory. And it's just simply a cabinet with the with six drawers. And it's but it's clean and perfect in air quotes. <laughs> so so what would you say? I said amateur. Oh, I, I feel like a total I'm, amateur. I'm, I'm head, like, I'm just drowning in cabinets. That's yeah, it's, and you know, this is so simple, and, and it's going to come out great, but just getting there has just been driving me crazy, because every morning I wake up, I'm like, what is the to-do list? Oh, work on the Rockwell cabinet. Uh. <laughs> oh, and then I got to make the cool vice table. You know, that's like literally what my mind is going back and forth. Yeah. Like, uh, paint the Rockwell table. And the other thing is every single day we're waking up, and we we got to clear out my barn. Like over the years, it's accumulated over the last short few short years, it's accumulated a bunch of junk from the classes, and I stuffed my car in there over the winter. So, and now these guys did the interior walls, and they did such a fantastic job. Everything was shoved to the middle of the room, and so every day while I'm working, Willie's sending me a picture. What do you want me to do with this? Where should we put that? Where should we store this? And we got to clear that room completely out for this upcoming TV project and make that the the vintage TV set shop. And once the TV show goes, it's going to be my vintage shop. On one side, it's going to be mostly vintage tools, and on the other side, I'll have my plasma table, my laser cutter, my Tormach, and uh, we're going to get a... We're getting a new uh, shop bot, 4 by 8 shop bot with an automatic tool Ooh. changer that's going in there. So Wow. I love uh, the Jekyll Hyde thing. So one side's completely old, one side is completely new. That's that's really cool. That's kind of how it's shaping up, yeah. And, um, and, you know, there'll be a welding section. It's going to be like a smattering of everything in there. It's going to be like the ultimate, like, man cave makerspace. And so I'm real excited about that because I can foresee myself absolutely doing videos in there. You know, this is something I should have done years ago. But, you know, everything's just so expensive and it's like if I told you guys how much it's cost me to do this room, you know, everybody would think I was rich and I'm not, I mean, I'm just paying for it little bits at a time. The contractors have been very kind with me, letting them, letting me pay them, you know, when I have money and not just like half and then half would, would bankrupt me kind of, but, um, it's, it's coming out so good. And, um, and, you know, as people come in there, they're like, wow, I can't believe this dream is coming, you know, coming closer to the end than it is at the beginning. And it's, it's really, it's really overwhelming. It's just amazing that, you know, something I put out there nearly six or seven years ago and we're coming to the end of this task. And it's been such a, a huge community effort. When people say, you built that? I was like, I actually didn't build it. I just paid everybody else who built it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm happy to say it was made by Kyle from Aura Buildings, David from 
PC Carpenter uh, and you know all the guys that participated and now these guys from Highland Woodworks these local guys and uh, Brian and Mike and it's just has been such a great collaborative effort and of course Patrick who's like the 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 keeper of the electric and he's been involved from literally like we keep joking when Patrick and I very first kind of became friends we were standing in there. He goes, I'd like to be involved. How can I help? And we were standing in that barn and there was no windows cut out of it. All the plywood sheeting was over the whole frame. There was just the two big doors at either end, a complete dirt floor with just a big pile of cutoff two by sixes that were left over because Kyle had just left. And I had no idea how I was going to pay for the floor. I had no idea how I was going to pay for electric. I had no idea how I was going to pay for siding windows. And and it's funny, me and Patrick had a conversation with him. He goes, just, you know, he goes, just keep believing in the dream. He goes, it'll happen. And then I got a quote for electric and I showed it to him. I was like, what do you think about this quote? He goes, he goes, if you want, he goes, I'll just do it. I was like, all right. You know, he goes, <laughs> you know, we came up with like a thing where I just paid him a little bit here and there. And, you know, uh, of course I paid for all the materials and Southwire donated a lot of it. And, uh, you know, now here we are three years later and we're finally like putting like switch plates on things, you know, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> So I don't know. I'm being a little melancholy about it, but uh, you know, and I thank the so many people sent me small donations and supported the channel, and you know, in many ways, this is really a community community effort, and you know, little tiny ways and big ways. So thank you everybody that helped with that. All right, I'm going to be going now. Thank you guys. It was nice working with you. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Good no. to good to see you. So no, yeah, you get, get, well, you got <laughs> what you wanted. Now you're out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get, it just gets I get a little melancholy about it because it's such a it was such a, an overwhelming task at the time when yeah you know I thought that people were like ah oh, yeah I want my my dream shop upstate and you know it's like I really had no idea how it would come to pass I really didn't you know and then when like Kyle like I remember writing that first check to Kyle for like twenty thousand dollars and I was like this is unbelievable I can't believe I'm writing a check for this much money like for one you know usually my whole life up till then. I never gave anybody that much money at one time. It was like, put it on a credit card and pay it down. But here I'm like literally giving. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what I was, uh, what I was saying a few weeks ago when I was talking about like buying land. It's like, there comes a point in your life when all of a sudden you're able to do something that you've never been able to do before. And it feels a little like weird, maybe not dishonest, but like not you to be able to, pay for something like that just like flat out and it it's, i don't know it's weird it's yeah. funny because uh i bought my property you know i bought this property i never even put money down on it i bought it like before the market crashed and everything i bought it in 2004 when they were basically giving out mortgages if you had a you know a pulse and that's how i got it i told them i had a pulse and they said okay cool <laughs> they gave me a mortgage for two three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to buy this house and the property next door and I never actually put down a down payment. It's just my, mm. you know, my payments were a few thousand dollars a month. And so to write a check, that was like the biggest check I wrote, you know, as far as property is concerned. And stuff. I don't think I, I'm trying to think, I don't think I ever wrote a bigger check than that for any other reason, except for the first time I wrote yeah. that much to Kyle as a down payment. And he's like, I don't need this much money. I was like, I'd rather you have it. This way I'm closer to paying you off than, and, you know, that was just to get the, the job, you know, set in space. And uh, anyway, since then, I've written a lot of those type of checks. It's uh, painful, but I'm happy with the results. The- yeah, I mean, it's painful to write it, but then when you see what it what it does uh, for the space that you're in. I remember like when we we've bought and sold a couple of houses and it's always, you know, like you're really rich for about 15 minutes between 
when you get a check from the person you're buying, you're selling to. And then when you, and there's like that 15 minutes where you have this piece of paper that you're holding closer to your chest than anything else you've ever <laughs> held. It's like, I cannot lose this check until I get to that other building and hand it to that other person. And then that money is gone again. But yeah, it's really weird to have a nice big check like that. But well, I'm, I'm really happy for, for the way that this building has turned out. Cause I remember, you know, the conversations on here when you were talking about doing it or yeah. how to even like begin the process. So yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah. It's now crazy. you're having a TV show shot inside your barn. It's how cool. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's At what point will you be able to talk about the TV show specific stuff here? Are you I don't know. Months I, out from I, that? Weeks out? From I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, hopefully soon. I mean, a lot of people know about it. You know, people in the inside scoop. Of course, you guys know. But uh, I don't know. I really got to ask the you know the, the people involved when we could begin to do some hype because hype's going to be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had, I, I, I'm, I'm the worst at keeping secrets. So. <laughs> If there wasn't 75 other people involved, I would be telling everybody exactly what's going on. How are you with doing the hype? Are you comfortable with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. That's cool. You know, it's something to be proud of. It's fun. It's, uh, you know, there's big bragging rights. And, you know, it's funny. The people that know me know me well know that I, I brag and boast. It's kind of it's like half a joke. But at the same time, who's going to do it for you? And the people mm-hmm. that don't know me very well see me brag and boast and they think I'm an idiot, you know. So I think they're missing out on the the hype you know like it's kind of good boils down to me putting my name on everything and Mm. you know people like i can watch this guy but i just can't stand that he puts his name on everything (laughs) i said if i'm not going to promote me who's going to do it for me you know my mom's not in the game she would but she's doesn't know how to use youtube so (laughs) (laughs) okay i have a plan for you yeah you start another YouTube channel called Duresta's Mom. Your mom doesn't actually have to do any of it. You can pretend that you're her and promote you as your mom. See? Then, Jimmy then you don't have to do it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Duresta Doubtfire. Oh, oh stretch. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's a, uh, and, and, you know, the, it's funny because it's like the spring is coming and like this, you know, it's, it's not nine, nine degrees out right now. And, the building's getting done, and like the guys, they started working literally with the doors boarded up. And now every time I go down there, the doors are wide open. The wind's blowing through. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a good summer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I am still making cabinets. I feel like, your pain, <laughs> Brandon. Ooh. Just insert thing from last week when I was talking about cabinets because it's exactly the same. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, finally, after. A couple of weeks i have all of the carcasses for our kitchen done and set which is really cool so uh as of yesterday that was like the, the last and i haven't kept track of how many separate boxes there have been but there's got to be 20 plus it's got to be separate like it's individual pretty... cabinet boxes that will get a facade on them yeah yeah um and then i have the drawers made for one side and the island, which was 20 drawers or 19 drawers or something like that. <laughs> and then I still have to do the other side. Uh, and yeah, man, it's just like hanging drawer slides over and over and over with a tiny variance and, you know, fit and shimming and all that type of stuff. It just, ugh. it's like not hard work. 
but it's tedious. very tedious and it just seems to go on and on. And it's one of those things that like I, there, there's an almost an endless, it feels like an endless amount of stuff to do in regards to the kitchen. Like until we have a kitchen back that we can use, it's the thing that I have to pay attention to. It's the thing that I have to spend my time doing. And so I'm always kind of working in what I'm doing right now to move forward. I'm always looking at what's going to be the next step to make sure that I don't have to prepare. Like I realized this morning in the shower that I have to order edge banding because I'm almost at edge banding and I need that edge banding for like two steps down the road. You know, so I'm looking at now I'm looking at right ahead and then I'm looking at, well, when can we actually kind of get the thing working and, you know, start to build the doors and start to do whatever the next steps are and stuff. So it's good. It's moving along and I'm really happy with how it's turning out. My wife is happy with it, which is the thing. That's what I <laughs> care about. Um, so it's good, but you know, also kind of, kind of tedious and stuff. It's weird also being, and I may have mentioned this last week. I've, all my days are kind of blurring together. So sorry if I've already said this, but it's weird to be inside of a, a project. It, it's really like a bunch of tiny project, but it feels like one big project and it's weird to be in the in that somewhere i want to say in the middle because i don't even know if i'm to the middle yet but to be in there and normally be working at a pace where we're creating new videos every week and we're always like i do one thing and as soon as i'm done with my part of a video it's like i'm on to the next thing and then somebody else takes the video and starts working on the video and then you know we just always moving between things and this is just one long never ending <laughs> like kitchen thing and it just it's, it feels like it's going on and on so it's kind of weird to be stuck in I don't say stuck it sounds negative I'm not trying to sound negative about it it feels weird to be in the middle of a single project and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's moving forward it is you know but like I, I don't see the end of it moving closer it's just we're not there yet so it's a difference but when you're all done with this and you can move on with your life What's the first project you're going to do? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we have several things that I want to do now. I'd like to take a break from mm. this and, you know, kind of drop in something else just to change it up. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's like it's it's hard to justify taking a break when I know that if I just keep at it, then we'll actually have a kitchen in the house again. You know, like I don't I don't have to keep going on it, but. I have several things that I'm I'm kind of itching to start on, um, but I don't want to give them away. So, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's what I'm up to. Just it seems like nonstop uh, cabinets and building and setting and like I'll I'll put a cabinet. Yesterday I built one, took it up there, and it was like a kind of a bookshelf cabinet that goes on the backside of an island. So it's a little different than everything else, and I. Built it, took it up there, fit it in place, and it was an inch too short. And I had no idea why. Like, I, I measured it. I Actually, I do think I know why. Because I have multiple measuring tapes that are different sizes. And you know the offset of the measuring tape? So, like, when you pull the, the tip of it to one wall and then you pull the body of it to another wall, the body has a certain width, right? And if you work with a certain tape measure for long enough, you get to... Most mm. of mine are a two inch width. And so I know that whatever I read, I add two inches. That's my measurement. Well, I've, I bought a few different types of tape measures recently. 
and I just wanted to try out some different types. And I think probably I grabbed a different tape, measured with it, and added two inches when I should have added three inches. Mm. And so I think that's probably what happened. And I got this one tape that I really like. I'm not going to say the brand name because I actually can't think of the brand name right now, but the measurement is like three inches. It's like three and five eighths. <laughs> like what a dumb number to have to add to whatever it is you're measuring. It's not two inches. It's not three inches. Three and five eighths? What a weird thing. Anyway, so I think that's what happened. So I spent yesterday building this cabinet. I took it up there. I was like, this is the last one, last base thing to put in place and I can fix it and then we can measure for countertops. Like that's that's a pretty big transition point. So I drop it in. And it's an inch too narrow to fit the space, which is not a big deal. I cut two pieces a half inch trim. Looks perfectly fine. But just getting like, oh, I'm right there at the, oh, wait, no, no. (laughs) And so I drop it in place. I screw them all together, lock it together. And then I start, you know, rechecking square across the top of all of them. And I realize that one corner is lifted up and it's kind of poking above the, The what will be the countertop surface. Can't have that. So I start kind of trying to figure out what's causing this corner to pop up. And there was a piece of trim across the front of the bottom of it that was, I guess the floor is not perfectly level right there. And so anyway, I had to pull the whole thing out, take it outside with a jigsaw, cut off a chunk of trim last night at like 8.30. It started raining as I was finishing cutting this thing off and I'm carrying this whole bookcase back in by myself. And I drop it in place and then... It was like, well, okay, I got to go put the kids to bed. I can't just like finish that one thing. I'm just trying to finish the cabinet so I can get to the countertops. And it was all day yesterday was, all right, this is it. Nope, no, this is it. Oh, wait, good, this is it. No, no. no Distractions, man. Distractions. Now it's wet. <laughs> you know. So anyway, that's where I'm at. Are you using sounds, leveling feet into the cabinets? No, I'm not. Um, and I did think about that after I got pretty far into it. You know, I didn't build the height of those into... Right. Um, the I couldn't really go back and if it's very minor you, obviously you don't if it's just a minor couple of things you don't really need it but you know if you sometimes guys put them on tile floors if the tiles go into the right. counter and stuff luckily I laid the floor um and so I was as I was going across the room I was pretty careful to make sure that what I was laying it on was level and you know it's not perfectly level end to end of the room but the section the runs of cabinets are level to themselves so um yeah, I'm, I just had to shim a little bit, and most of that was actually correct. It was easy to correct because the walls are not necessarily perpendicular to the floor, and that's true in most buildings. They, uh, in in our kitchen, they kind of flare out a little bit. So, in my case, it was easy enough to push the top of the cabinet against the wall to fill the gap and kind of you know, like lifting the front of it off the ground just a little bit yep. and that ended up being about level so I could lift like lean it back put in some shims to match whatever that gap was and then screw it to the wall and I only had to like do something different on one of them the rest of them that just squared them up or leveled them or whatever so anyway it, that part hasn't been too bad but it's just overall it's one of those projects where you're just thinking yeah I just gotta make a bunch of cabinet boxes and then once that's done then it's like well How do you attach them together, keep them all in line? How do you attach them to the wall, keep them all level? And then if one's off, you have to figure out whether that one is off or whether the block of six cabinets that you just screwed together is off. 
You know what I mean? It's it's just a bunch of the problems get smaller and smaller, but they become more and more important. So you're mm-hmm. constantly like trying to address the little thing in front of you. And like I said earlier, still always looking at what's the next thing. What do I have to be preparing for? What's the you know what's the thing I have to do now so that countertops can happen when they need to so that the next thing can happen when it needs to and the decision making goodness gracious god bless my wife for taking on all of the color and countertop and all those decisions because we kind of just said you know this is whatever you want is fine with me i just want to make the thing like i don't really care she knows what i like to see so and she has her own opinions on the way things look so she's just going to do that but it's so overwhelming. Like when you look at a blank slate of a kitchen and you got to think of wall color, which we're just doing white, um, cabinet color, cabinet style, hardware that goes on those cabinets, Oof. all the plumbing fixture colors and how that interacts with the color on your appliances and then countertops. I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> all of these things and you can't just pick one of those things. I mean, I guess you could just pick one of those things, but Typically, you would want to kind of figure them all out in relation to each other. Uh, we originally were going to do this kind of vintage looking um, range. It was new range, but it looks kind of old. And so all of the brass faucet and brass handles and all that stuff, we're gonna, it was going to kind of have the same vibe, kind of vintage vibe. Well, that we ordered that range, and then it was discontinued after we ordered it. So we had to just pick something else entirely. So we picked, we kind of switched gears and picked a modern colored range and hood. So it's like really bright, a big pop of color in the room. But that one change made it so that, well, now the, all of the hardware, the brass stuff that we were looking at is probably not going to look all right with the stainless hardware and knobs and stuff on this new range. And so it was like that one change then had downstream effects into all the other colors and fixtures and hardware and all that stuff. And, you know, we're already pretty far into the kitchen and now we have to kind of rethink all of those color choices. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The anxiety is washing over Jimmy. But I think anyway, that's one of the uh, I haven't worked on a project that big, but one of the things that's I find kind of stressful is when you're working on a big project like that and you get down to the smaller details, like putting on uh, the handles and the drawer pulls and everything. It seems from the outside like a small, easy task. But in in reality, it takes just as long as it does to cut, you know, uh, all the boards for a a certain size cabinet. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the stakes are higher. So like if you drill a hole in the wrong place, yeah, <laughs> you're at the end of making cabinets and painting cabinets and hanging doors, and then you make an error. You're That's a bigger deal than like I've messed up a couple of carcasses so far, and they're just like plywood boxes. Like who cares? You can just knock them apart and do it again and fix it. It's a bigger deal when you've got like tongue and groove maple doors with inset panels that are painted a certain color, and then you have to drill a hole in them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. And I remember back, like, I guess it's been over two years now when we did our master bathroom. And that was a, probably the biggest project I had done to date as far as completely tearing out a room, you know, doing all the different stuff. And I remember at the time feeling like it was just never going to end. Like, it, there's just so much tile. And no matter how much tile I did, there was always going to be more tile. And then there was, and then there was ceiling. And then there was, you know, 
just on and on and on. And so I've, I'm several weeks into this kitchen thing and I'm feeling that feeling again, where it's just like, oh, I guess maybe I'm at the halfway point. I don't really know. I'm not sure how you would tell. And I'm not really sure what the, you know, the projected end date's going to be. But luckily it's, it's not like 27 degrees doing cutting tile outside like it was for the bathroom. That was rough. But anyway, I don't mean to complain. I'm very, very happy about where the kitchen is, where things are going. I'm just, I'm getting fatigued, I guess, with the process. Yeah. Uh, and I'm ready to kind of do something else. Start working on something else. So that's where I'm at. Hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of something else, our topic for today is, I think we've covered this, but not just this part of the project where, um, what do you guys do from idea to where you start the project like what goes on do you write down the idea are you are you sketching it out do you let it simmer for a little bit i'm just curious to hear i'm assuming we all three have different processes my process is i avoid it as long as possible Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) excellent that's what i always do for instance the end (laughs) thanks you go with me Uh, no i I have a, I have a little bit of a hard time. It's it's almost like the project at hand that I'm concerned about is I have to build an enclosed trailer for a wine company. You know, I got the job through my my bullet connections, and I'm building a 12 foot trailer, an enclosed thing that you would take to an event. And um, I haven't started it yet. It needs to be done sometime in May, and I have plenty of weekends between now and then to get it done. But the I just I just keep avoiding it. Like I got the email on the final layout. I didn't open it. And I said, because I have so many other things to do first. So in my mind, I'm just thinking to myself, all right, occasionally I'll look at a, how to build a tiny house thing once in a while. I've looked at two or three of them. Um, but until the day I begin, I kind of almost don't even, I just completely put it out of my mind. Because there's only a number, there's only, a, there's a certain simple number of ways <clears throat> to to build this thing. So in my mind, I'm like, do I see and see the walls? They're not that complicated. The original drawing had more curvy walls. The newest drawing is more of a box with just an angled roof and just rounded corners. So that I could just lay out and cut out by hand. I don't need to see and see those things. So I've been, I've been avoiding it mostly, but uh, it's getting close to where I have to start with absolutely no... Um, uh, no excuses. So I, it, in some ways I back myself into a corner and that always, mostly always works good. Not always. And the case in point is when I did the guitar, the black, when I melted the bent, burnt the guitar and, uh, you know, the guy that got it is super happy with it, but the audience hated it. And so that was a project where I just kept avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. And then when I actually had to do it, I didn't do, I didn't do the best job, but I did what I thought at the time would have been cool. Dave, Bob. So, I have a question here. So is, it sounds like both of those projects were things that came from the outside and were like, somebody said, I need you to do this. Does that have a lot to do with, you know, how you put it off or, or your interest uh, yes. level in it? Well, you know, it's funny because when I got clarity, when I got mental clarity on the, on the trailers, which was an outside job, I was like dug right in. I was super happy to figure that out. And I think what has to happen with most projects is it, it, I really don't consciously think about it, but I subconsciously think about it. I mean, I talk about this a lot where 
I I basically put it like I wrap it up in like brown paper and I put a string on it. I go, okay, I'm going to put it in the incubator. And that's like the back of my mind and another stupid metaphor. But the idea is like, I'm not consciously thinking about it. I'm not doing sketches on it often, but every now and again from that back room in my brain, someone will be like, Oh, what about this? And I go, Oh, that's actually a good idea. So I'll sketch that like detail. And I go, okay, cool. When I get to building it, I'll remember it. But it, it really, in many cases goes in the incubator. And when I get like a fiery, like, Oh, I could see it. That's when I jump right into it. And that happens more often with projects that I conceive of that I'm not hired to do, obviously, because it's, it's really more of a freedom, but when there's a constraint on it, timeline or has to happen by this time or has to happen to please somebody else. Those are the ones that I tend to, you know, put on the shelf in my brain. And like I said, there's only been a few times that I could honestly feel like I might've missed the mark, but I also trust my track record. So a lot of times I'm just like, okay, you've been able to do this, that um, that's another little negotiation I'm always doing when it's something that seems like somewhat fearful or if it's heavy or complicated or the materials might seem expensive or hard to get. I'm always thinking to myself, there's always alternatives and you did this so you can do that. You know, that, that little comparison is something I'm constantly saying in my head, you've done this so you can do that. You've done that before. Hmm. So you can handle it this way. You've used that machine once before. This is a similar situation. So those little conversations are often going around in my head. And then it's really like the day I begin to build it, that's when I'll really just kind of mutate. Like I'll be like, I'll have a coffee and I'll sit and I'll sketch a couple of concepts on a piece of paper. You know, I have this like fantasy that everything's going to go in a notebook, but those most important drawings that I ever do, the ones that I I drew the day I built, like I draw in the back of like a, you know, American express envelope, you know, it's just, I never, never disciplined like that. And, uh, that's typically my procedure is just avoid until I absolutely have to confront it. (laughs) Hmm. When when you when you get down to you need to start building this thing, how are you uh, how, your measurements and stuff? Are you just sketching things out in a notebook, or are you drawing it up in a in a three D program? Uh, I never draw anything never. in a three D program. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. If if it's something specific with a client, I'll usually do pen and ink drawings. Or if it's more specific, I know I'm sending it to people that don't have the vision. I uh, don't have the second sight, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. People that don't understand anything. Those people, I'll send them an illustrative. <laughs> Bob's got a smirk <laughs> on his face, like, what does that mean? No, sometimes you're dealing with interior designers or you're dealing with a certain personality that you know you have to be very specific. And so those, if I'm dealing with people like that, I'll do an illustrative layout or a file because that's something I could do quick. But it... Once in a long while, I'll get inspired and I'll do like a fusion file, but I won't like do a full render. I'll just do it like, this is what it's going to look like from three angles. And that's really why I might do it because it's something that needs to be drawn. And But almost 75 to 80% of the time, I'll just do like a pencil drawing. And if it needs to look better, I'll just go over the lines in Sharpie and send that. And people, <laughs> <laughs> and people, people tend to appreciate They're Like, wow, you can really draw. So they like that. So I can kind of use that to my advantage and I'm working with a client. But when it comes down to like project for myself, I, I'll just do a couple of small sketches because I can see it in my head for the most part. I don't always necessarily have to draw it. And like this, this vice table that I just made, this, this workbench with the vice on, with the vice on either corner. I, I was curious, like, how long should I make it? I want to make it four by eight. And then I, the wood that I use was 14 feet long. I'm like, oh, I feel bad cutting these things like almost in half. And 
So instead, I made the table nine feet long, and I thought, well, with this base, it's not going to it's going to look awkward. The base is going to seem too minuscule underneath a nine foot long table. And I was like, well, you know what? Let me make it nine feet. If it looks weird, I'll just shorten it, shorten it. And I made it nine feet, and it feels right. So you know, sometimes I you know I plan for future opportunities to to make adjustments. Hmm. So you know, if I can, stuff like that. In some ways, David. I'm similar. In some ways, I'm not. So I I have a couple places where I'll write down ideas. And then they they do need to go into the incubator for a while. They need to, to simmer because usually that first idea is just an idea. I need something to interfere with that to have the aha moment. Like, that's how I want to execute that. That's how I want that thing to look. I like that. You need, to, you need um, that like flubber accident where something spills onto it and you're like, all of a sudden you have flubber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like a like a chemist just playing with different formulas. Um, but when it comes to bigger projects, I have to use, I have to draw them out. So I know exactly what materials I need to get. And it just... It uh, eliminates possible errors in the future. I can't really build on the fly very well. Uh, smaller projects, I'll do that. But on the bigger projects, I need all the measurements right away. And that just helps me, especially when we're filming, keeps the day flowing faster and smooth. Yeah, I Go just ahead. want to clarify. A lot of times I'll do Illustrator. I, I kind of was joking that people don't understand my sketches. But I do. Sometimes I'll do Illustrator to absolutely clarify, like, spatial uh relationships of things because like mm-hmm. i can draw an illustrator in one inch in my mind will equal a foot or you know one centimeter might equal if i'm drawing something that's like 30 feet in illustrator i'll use centimeters just so that you know i use that as my little scale tactic and so i'll draw stuff like for instance this rockwood cabinet i had to draw the whole front of it just to get the spatial relationship of the set of drawers i mean i built it for uh, I built it for a client, so I wanted to make sure that he had his requirements and the things that he was going to put in the drawer. So I did all the special relationships, the drawer faces to the shelves and so on and so on. It's really simple, but I, I needed to know real physical numbers. And so that's another reason why I'll do like an illustrator layout and not necessarily a, a 3D rendering because I really just need to know how big the draw faces are going to be. That dictates the interior spaces as well. So. Might be a cool tip for somebody who does Illustrator. I feel more comfortable in Illustrator than something like Fusion 360. So on simple things, I will draw them in Illustrator just because I can do it in a matter of minutes. But uh, I've purchased, and I don't remember the the name of the plugin, but it allows you to, after you have your drawing, to to show the dimensions of things. So it's kind of like you click on two points, and then you pull out, and then it'll plop uh like this is so many inches or whatever and that helps me in my illustrator drawings um another thing there just to jump in real quick like if if you're more comfortable drawing in illustrator but then you need to have a 3d version of it for some reason like you could you could build in two dimensions in illustrator save that out and import that into fusion as your sketch and then start building three-dimensional objects i do that that. i do that almost every time when i need to go to fusion some people are just you know, more used to the tool, the two-dimensional tools in one app over the other. I mean, I, they're both about the same to me personally, but I get that a lot of people have invested a lot of time in Illustrator, and that's just the easier way to get those shapes. But yeah. go ahead. And then before I can execute a project, I usually, there needs to be some sort of pressure or a reason to build the project. Like, so there's a, there's a, there's a whole list of ideas that I want to do in my notebook, 
And sometimes a sponsor will come along and they're like, hey, uh, we need you to pitch us an idea for a video. I'm like, well, and then I'll just pull something from that list that I've been putting off because I don't know, I don't know how to start it or I don't want to start it. And now all of a sudden there's a deadline and there's a reason for me to do the thing or, uh, um, and then on the other side of that, there are things like the idea comes to mind and I want to execute right now. And I'm super excited about that thing. And so, uh, and then, then I put my own pressure, but usually there has to be a reason or some sort of outside pressure for me to execute something. And then that's when I really thrive. When there's a deadline, then I'm forcing myself to come up with the final details and come up with the final measurements and to do my research and buy the materials and things. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's really, you go right for the gut, you know, you go right for the throat to get it going. Sometimes it lingers. I, I think... M- my process for all this stuff is probably somewhere in between the two of you. And there's a lot of overlap. Um, like I've talked about before, we use a, an app called Airtable. To, it's kind of like a spreadsheet, an online spreadsheet thing where you can connect spreadsheets. It's a database. But um, we use that to keep track of our schedule and project ideas and a bunch of like connected information around all those things, sponsor stuff and all that. And so I have a place in there where I just dump one line project ideas. And so anytime that I have an idea for something, it my go-to is to put it there because then it's a single place. It's not on a piece of paper that might get lost or written over or covered up or whatever. It's always in that one place. And so once I can put it there, then I know that it's captured and I can kind of forget about it. Like I don't have to try to remember what the details were. I can just put everything I know about it, the idea there, And then it's in this kind of repository of stuff. So whenever we're building out the schedule for the coming months, or if there's a sponsor coming up that needs a relevant thing, like you were talking about, David, you know, I have that pool of stuff I can pull from. And usually I don't think about it again until I go to pull it from that list to put it on the schedule. Because I keep my mind pretty full of stuff all the time of like whatever's you know, present and semi future. (laughs) And so like the stuff that's like really future, I don't think any at any level of detail about. So I wait till it gets closer and then, then I'll start trying to figure out the specific once I know that it has some time attached to it or some sort of a sponsor or some sort of a, you know, a connected thing. Like we've been talking about the kitchen for a couple of years now, but I've never given it a certain level of detail of thought because it was just always way off in the future. And then once it started getting closer, then we had to start making actual decisions about that. So I've got several other things that are one line ideas and that's all they have. And I won't think about the specifics of how they're built or what I need to get until they're a lot closer, you know? And then when it comes down to whether it's paper or fusion or whatever, it kind of depends on, the project, like a lot of times, more often than not, I think a piece of paper with some rough measurements on it is all I need to really build the thing. Um, but if something is more complex or it needs to relate to something in the real world, then having a fusion model can be really helpful just because you have like the the known things, the fixed points that you have to work around. Um and so having those things mapped out and being able to then do the kind of off the cuff building in between those points has been really helpful. 
again with the kitchen, you know, the faucet or the plumbing on the wall is a fixed point and everything else along that wall can move except for the walls themselves, you know? So it was like we had to model and think about where the sink was going to go and then vaguely what's going around it in both directions. And so I had to make sure that that sink cabinet was correct and in place and whatever. And then I could just kind of say like, oh, the next one needs to be 36. I can make a 36 cabinet. And if it's not perfectly 36, it's not going to mess up anything because the one next to that, I can just account for any mistakes. And I worked that way until it hit a wall, you know? So I think a lot of people may assume that I'm like all fusion all the time, but I think more often than not, it's probably just like a post-it note with some hmm. really rough measurements. On, not rough measurements, but rough drawings with measurements and then just kind of making it as I go. But but it, it all depends, you know? There, like there's some stuff. I'm working on a... I don't want to give it away, but I'm, I'm working on an idea for a vehicle. And the vehicles... I know that it would benefit from a model, figuring out geometry, figuring out some physics. I know that, but I'm not even close to, to doing that. And I know, I don't know that I will Hmm. like, I naturally want to just get in and start bending some tube and start trying to figure out how to make the thing work rather than, rather than like over planning it because I don't have any experience with it. So I can I can go into fusion and I can like think I know what's gonna hovercraft what it needs, not a hovercraft. <laughs> um, go kart. No, not go kart. Bicycle sidecar. Not gonna tell you. No, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Bicycle sidecar. That's it. Then. But you know, it's one of those things. Like I don't really know. I could sit down and act like I knew what it was gonna need and build a fusion model, but I don't know. I have no clue. So like maybe it's worth just bending some metal and welding it and seeing if it works and if it doesn't like cut it apart and try it again you know that kind of thing so. sometimes when I'm, I'm, I'm this isn't often but occasionally it's always just something you can do when i'm working on a project it's very similar to what you described where you you can't see it yet you can't see it in your mind but you you can see something in your mind but you know that's not reality you know, it's like having a dream and it's like oh you know i was like you, when you wake up, you're like, wait, you can't do that. That's like a dream thing. It's like not reality. So that's what your idea is like that little orb floating in your head. Sometimes I say to myself, I do the six I go, let me at least see if I can draw that unfocused shape. Interesting. And that's a way to be like, I know that what I'm drawing is makes no sense, but that'll help to find some parameters of whatever that might be. So if you're building like, you know, the tube frame for a race car, I don't really know what that looks like in detail, but I'll draw what I feel like it should look like. And that will at least dictate some of the styling. It might not dictate the engineering, but it'll dictate a little bit of the styling and the feel of what it might look like. You know, that's where like, that's the originality stuff or that's where like, you know, you know, you as an artist could start to put some focus on something, but when it gets more to the engineering and the, and the mystery of, you know, what's right and what's wrong, that can always be figured out later. Hmm. That's a really good that's a really good idea. I think focus is a good word to use there because a lot of like this particular project it looks like I'm looking at an unfocused image in my mind. Usually I think of through something and I can see a highly detailed almost like rendering in my mind of what the thing's going to end up looking like. But this feels like I'm looking at the thing with my eyes squinted. 
Yeah. It's like, I know the general outline of it, but that's about all the, you know, and, and the more information you have on something, the more focused that image. That reminds me of, uh, of something I saw years ago. I can't remember where I saw it. I mean, you could probably even Google what I'm about to say, and you could probably find some images on it. Um, there was a car manufacturer or a car design firm, and they were trying to design some new car. I don't know which one, but they were filling balloons with plaster and shaping the plaster, like the orbs of plaster, into a series of studies to then try and find the magic in there that would give them something they otherwise couldn't think of or, you know, put a pen to paper. So it was in a way, you know, they were basically using these orbs. I remember seeing images of like these blobs of plaster that you could begin to manipulate as it begins to, to, to firm up. So it's just an interesting approach, you know? Yeah. One of the things similar to that, one of the things um, that I learned in art school and this might be helpful for somebody who's trying to design like a piece of furniture or whatever. When you want to, when you don't want to worry about the details yet and you just need um, the overall shape or scale of something, squinting your eyes at something will break down. It will simplify the thing that you're looking at. It simplifies it in color and it simplifies it in shape. And so imagine like you see a person walking, you know, a quarter mile down the road the detail that you have of that person at that distance is it's a person. You may be able to tell like it's a woman or it's a man or they're tall or they're short, or they have some bluish something on, but like you can't, you don't get enough detail there, but you at least have enough information to know, you know, a few things about them. And then as they get closer, then you start to realize that like, it's, you know, a person that might be this age group. Or And they have, oh, they have long hair. I can see that because the details are becoming, they're coming into focus as they get closer. And so you can do that if you're trying to design something as well. You can, maybe in your house, if you're looking at a piece of furniture that goes in a certain corner, you can squint at that corner and kind of see the general shapes that are created by the, the room there or the work, the space that you're working in. And you can start to just make some basic geometry that goes in that shape and then as you work on it, you're adding detail to it, you're refining it, and um, the same happens for color as well. So if you if you look at a, a place and you're like, you know, I want a piece of artwork to go on that wall, but I don't know what it is, you can squint at existing artwork and see like, well, does the dark shape work in that other space or does a light shape work there? And then as you unsquint, you're adding more color detail and more visual detail. So that was a thing that became really handy as you're working on something to be able to step back, squint at it, and see the basic geometry and the basic color. Um, that's maybe a little bit easier once you've got something in progress than you know to before you even start. But it reminds me. It reminds me of the uh, the classic example of like the 16 pixel or the 8 pixel image of Abe Lincoln. You guys know that classic example. No, no. I don't think so. If you Google it, I don't know why I know it, but if you Google like a pixel pixelated Lincoln, they use it as an example in, in like sight tests. And there's a picture of Lincoln with like eight pixels. Oh, yeah. It's like, can you tell who this is? And you're like, yeah, it's Abe Lincoln. But wait a minute, it's only eight pixels. It's like eight squares of different colors. And you can look at it and you go like, is it eight, is it eight or 16 pixels? I forget. Mm, it's more than that, but I get the idea though. Yeah. 
It's like, a, huh. it's like a, if you reduce, how much can you reduce? And they do it in typography a lot. How much can you reduce uh, pieces of an image and still yeah. the information is transferable? Interesting. Cool. Well, uh, we're about an hour in on this. You guys got anything else around your process? I just say if you have a big idea, just avoid it to the last minute. It works. Great. <laughs> <laughs> don't do yeah, it. Don't forget to write it down. Don't do forget to write nothing. it. And you'll end up with a burnt guitar video. <laughs> just do what works for you. Yeah, I think it's different. I, and even like for each person, I think it's different for the type of project. You know, some things you have enough information in the instant that you think of it to go make the thing. Sometimes it's going to take a lot of planning and a lot of design, yeah. but. I, I think one of my tendencies is to try to, to build a process for something like that and stick to it all the time. And so that's a place where I have to be, I have to remind myself to be more flexible and like not every project is going to take the same type of preparation and same type of, you know, forethought and just like sometimes you can just jump in and do it. And the times that I've done that, it's been really fun. It's, it's a different type of experience to just go build a thing as soon as it pops in your head versus planning and planning and planning, but both useful different ways. For sure. Um, well, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters because they're awesome. Big thanks to everybody over there at all levels because we are really grateful for all of you. Um, but I want to shout out our top supporters, Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting. You can make this too. Fun Kiss, Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich at Low End Designs, Corey from Make, Shape, Create, and Odin Leather Goods. And big thanks to my parents because they became patrons of the show this week, too. Get out of here. I thought that would, yeah. They're so awesome. I saw them the other day. They listen to the show all the time. Hey, Mom and Dad. And I uh, saw them the other day, and I saw that they had become patrons. And I thanked them, and Mom was like, yeah, we're some of your biggest fans. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, they're pretty great. Um, everybody uh, that supports us over there gets the after show, which I think last week might have been one of my favorite after shows ever. Um, it can be kind of fun. There's a lot of secret stuff. There's a lot of silly stuff. Last week we talked about what Jimmy might do if we replaced, if he, I'm not, I'm not putting myself in this category, if he replaced his janky pinky with a small robotic arm that also had <laughs> a little tiny pinky on it. Whole so, you know, hand. you may Whole be missing hands. out. Whole hand. That's right. Yeah. Not mm. just a pinky. But um, anyway, everybody uh, at Patreon gets the after show, which we're going to go record right now after we tell you about some cool stuff that we've been watching. What you got? Uh, you know what I just pictured? You know, you know how like when you put your pinky in the hand of a newborn baby? Yeah. I can do that to myself. I can take my little tiny hand on my pinky and have it grab my thumb <laughs> on the same hand. <laughs> And this is totally official stuff. Oh, look, it's so cute. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to shout huh. out my, my buddy Trent Presler. A lot of people know Trent. He builds the $100,000 canoes. Trent wrote a little book, uh, his first book, and it's called Little and Often. I just got it in the mail late last night when I got home, so I didn't get a chance to read any of it yet. But um, I heard him on a few podcasts talk about it, so it sounds like an intriguing book. And I think... Well, I, I see a quote on the back from Nick and from Kevin O'Connor and, and a few other uh, people in the in the design build world. So uh, all positive stuff. So little and often a memoir by Trent Presler, who builds beautiful canoes on Long Island. And when I built my canoe, 
I picked up my wood from Trent's shop. The company that provided the wood sent me and Trent a bunch of stuff. They're like, it's easier if you just go to Long Island and pick it up from our client Trent. And that's what I did. And that's how he and I became friends. Cool. Is it my turn? Uh, sure. I don't have anything maker related this week. And then, in fact, I was struggling right before we hit record to find something. Uh, so I'm going with a crazy music channel on YouTube. Um, I think you pronounce his name Mark Rebellet. Have you seen this guy before? R E B I L L E T. So he does, uh, he's kind of like a loop musician in the style of Reggie Watts, where he, you know, he'll start like making a beat and then he loops on top of that. And he's an absolutely crazy, amazing musician, like can play piano organ, like you wouldn't believe. And uh, his videos are just amazing. They're also, they they can be, uh, uh, if you're offended by sexuality, Maybe not the channel for you. There might be some curse words in there, but it's it's super fun. And um, it, if you're on TikTok, his TikToks are just as good. What's so, his name? Mark Rebelitz. Right. I believe is how you pronounce it. I will send you guys the link here in the chat. He's really he's super crazy talented. Cool. Um, our our friend Andrew Huang. Um, is doing a really cool thing right now. This is not my pick. Maybe it should be, but he put out a, an EP called space time. And the way he announced this thing was that he started doing a video. And then at the end of the video, it was just like, all right, well, it's time to go. And then there's this crazy montage of him packing a suitcase and going to an astronaut training place and then getting on a spaceship and blasting off. And, (laughs) and then, now he's in space. So he's tweeting from space. He's doing Bonkers. Instagram, everything from space. And he is in space right now. So Bonkers. it's pretty fantastic. And the music's really good too. Yeah. Um, but he went all out on this this thing, which is really cool. So my pick of the week is somebody we've talked about before, Tyler Bell. Sure. Who's awesome. Tyler's super, crazy. Super nice guy. Um, we were watching his newest video yesterday where he's trying to stop ice from expanding. Yeah, inside so, the steel box. <laughs> yeah, he's building these steel boxes and trying to figure out a way to make a box strong enough to stop the ice from from expanding out of it and breaking it. And we were all commenting as we were watching this together just that his delivery and his pacing and his just persona on camera is just really good. Like he's he's a young guy and he's kind of nailing the whole all the skills you need to do what he's doing really well and it's just impressive to watch so. Tyler, Tyler's been to the house twice so he's come up for two classes hmm. yeah he's, he's a great dude and, and he's really doing a good job developing his his channel and like he's really focused on what he knows he wants to do hmm. yeah it's great he's basically I mean, he, he said he's been inspired by Mythbusters tremendously and what's great is he's able to find slices that they didn't address and you know in his own unique way address certain things in physics and and, and still have a, a unique fun approach to it original yeah. original approach to it yeah for sure he's got a bunch of really cool projects um a lot of very over engineered stuff which is really fun to see and cool to watch so go check out tyler bell um you guys got anything else well, for be it. this week 
Cool. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Sorry for anybody that you know missed out on last week's live event. <laughs> <laughs> Including me. Uh, Are you sorry I missed it? Oh well, other than David, I'm sorry that every, you know, uh, of course we will. Uh, yeah, we'll try to let you in for uh, number four hundred at some point in another six years. <laughs> Get to that one. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Love you.